Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Session 34. So this is the book of Revelation, a thematic study through Revelation 1 through 22. But instead of looking at it verse by verse, we're looking at it idea by idea, concept by concept. And so tonight, session 34 is an intro to the seals. Now, what I've been doing is, uh, as best as I can, we are kind of marching through the book of Revelation, uh, but we're, we're doing it by theme. And so there's some stuff that we're going to skip when we get to it because we already covered it. And there's some stuff that we're going to pull on in later chapters because it relates to what we're studying right now. And that's just kind of how we're, we're doing this. So if you kind of needed to know about where, we, where are we in the book, you could call tonight about chapter 6. Okay? And... Uh, we're in uh, session 34, and we're going to talk about the seal judgments. Last week, we introduced the idea that there are three judgment series. There's seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls of wrath. But we did just this overview of the fact that there are three judgment series. Tonight, we're going to do an overview of the seals. And then in the coming weeks, we'll actually talk about each one of those seals. And then when we get to the, bowl, uh, to the trumpets, we'll do an overview of it. And then we'll talk about it. And then we'll, you got me? Okay. So uh, just a quick point of review and if this is, uh, if you're like, review, we didn't cover this, uh, it's in the sessions online, unfortunately. Uh, we got to keep marching forward here, people. I can't just repeat myself every week. So uh, if, you're, if you feel like you missed something, you probably did, but it's online, so go get it. Um, a little bit of background on the seals, okay? And again, point of review. The seals are actual seals on a scroll. So think about like an ancient seal, like wax, Okay, that drips down on a, on a scroll. They roll up the scroll. And then how do you keep that scroll from opening up? They didn't have staples. So they used ink or uh, uh, wax that they would put on there, like kind of in a circle. And then they would seal it with like a signet ring or, you know, some sort of emblem or something. And what that would do then is it would kind of glue together the pieces of paper in a certain spot so that when someone wanted to open that thing, they had to physically break the seal with their fingers, uh, kind of like we would a letter opener kind of a concept, Okay. So these seals that we're going to look at tonight, they are judgments, but they're also seals on a document. So it's both. There's a bit of mystery uh, there, and we talked about that in a previous session. But these are on a scroll, and this scroll right now in heaven is in the Father's hands. The Father has this scroll, and I don't know that he carries it around all the time, but he's either got it on his person or near him somewhere somehow, because everybody knows nobody can touch that document except the father nobody and all of heaven is in a in a uh, tizzy over the fact that no one is found worthy to touch this document the father's holding it but no one's found worthy then a time comes and this is still a future moment a time comes when the lamb is found worthy now he's worthy now but he's not yet been given access to this document because it's not time you know, there's a lot of things God's going to use you to do later. And they're yours, but you can't touch it yet. The, wrong, the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Okay? So this is a great example of that. This scroll will be in Jesus' hands, but it's not yet because it's not time. And when it's time, he'll, put, he'll take it from the Father's hands and he'll begin to open these seals. Okay? Uh, so I gave you here that no one is found worthy. There's this, this big dramatic scene in Revelation chapter 5. Again, we've covered this in previous sessions. I want to talk about the moment, however, when it's time. It's no longer a future moment. Now, 
We've had the book of Revelation for, you know, 2,000 years-ish, okay, around that time frame. So for 2,000 years, we've known this to be true in heaven every single day. And, and who knows how long it was true before it was written and documented, okay? But one thing that we know is for at least the last 2,000 years, this has been true and has been a point of anticipation for all of heaven. How many of you have ever waited 2,000 years for anything? Heaven is waiting for this moment. The Father, the Son, all the angels, everybody. So what we get in the latter part of Revelation chapter 5 is the moment. This is the climatic moment, like the most epic moment of any movie ever, okay? Where it's all coming to uh, uh, the pass, all coming to pass, and we see the anticipated moment of history the, the lamb takes the scroll from the father. It's been in, in waiting for at least 2,000 years and probably a lot longer, okay? Probably since the beginning, but at least the last 2,000 years because we got it documented that long. For all that period of time, it's been waiting, and when it happens, heaven erupts, erupts with praise and thanksgiving. And sometimes if we're reading the book of Revelation and we're not paying attention to the context of what's going on, we might lose the power of what's being said when. But this passage, uh, Revelation 5, 8 through 13, I'm going to read it because it's, it's important. When he had taken it, this is the lamb taking the scroll that's got the seven seals on it. When he had taken it, the four living creatures and the, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and they sang a new song. They've not sung this song yet. They sang a new song. It's kind of interesting that we have documentation for 2,000 years of a new song that will be sung but hasn't been sung yet. But it will be sung. They sang a new song. So this is like the Jesus took the scroll song. Okay? You know, we've kind of got the birthday song. We sing it on birthdays, you know. We've got, you know, the, this song. We sing it at that. This is the Jesus takes the scroll song. Okay? And when he takes it, all of heaven busts out. You are worthy to take the scroll. This is a song. These aren't just words. They're singing it. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Now notice, this is a song about him taking the scroll but the song is all about the future of what he's going to do in relationship to what this scroll means, in relationship to what's being imparted. This is even about you and me. Jesus taking the scroll is about you and me reigning on the planet. Okay? I looked and I heard a voice of many angels numbering 10,000 times 10,000 in a loud voice. They sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them singing. That moment has never happened, friends. That moment is still a future moment. We have never seen the trees cry out, but we will. And the fish, blub, 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 they will sing. Every creature. It says creature, not person. It's important. This moment is so epic that when this occurs, this is going to cause the created order to go, yes! Kind of like in the midst of the tribulation, all the created order will be going, no! All right, this is kind of the antidote moment here, okay? This is, this, is, this is the heart cry of creation, all right? 
says, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. This is the response of heaven related to this scroll and related to the seven seals on this scroll. Now, everything we just read makes this sound like a really, really good thing. The seven seals are horrific judgments. Heaven does not see any point of differentiation here between releasing horrific judgments and the praise of God going forth because it's all about justice. And we'll see that in future sessions. I just wanted us to get the context here. I wanted us to, to catch Revelation 5, 8 through 13 because it's all about the seals being opened up and yet what's caused as a result of these seals, about even just the fact that the seals are about to be opened, they're not even opened yet, just the promise that it's a minute away, heaven erupts. In praise and glory and the recognition of what this means and what's about to take place on the earth. What's about to take place? Things are going to shift. When Jesus gets that scroll, and he has not gotten that scroll yet, when he gets that scroll, things are going to shift. There's an end time countdown that begins. There is a time frame in the future where we will actually know exactly how long things are going to be before the return of Jesus. When the Great Tribulation starts, we know how many days. 1,260 days, it tells us. 1,260 days before the return of Christ. So this countdown begins. This is a really big deal. You just imagine, like, any crazy, like, you know, superhero or war movie or whatever. At the end, there's been all this climax building up to the end. And we kind of know at the end there's going to be a big battle. We know there's going to be a big fight scene. But that's the wrap-up of the story. That's, that's the climax. That's, that's what all of this has been leading towards. And when that battle happens, there's a point of celebration because it's making wrong things right. That's act, part of the reason we love those movies is because this is our story. Okay? And all the, all the smart writers out there figured out how to get us to pay $10 a movie ticket to, to go see a piece of the story because this is our future. All right. Things are going to shift. The Father has been waiting for this moment. He's been waiting. He knew this was coming before he ever made a person, before he ever made a planet. He knew this was coming. The Father is waiting. Part of what he's waiting for, part of the timing of this, it's the same passage of Scripture that says that the elders are sitting around the throne with bowls filled with incense. Filled, full, capacity. Part of what's happening right now is there's a prayer movement burgeoning in the earth that is filling those bowls, but they are not yet full. When those bowls are full, this moment will be reality. There is a prayer movement that is birthing in the earth right now, places like this and places way cooler than this, that are birthing in the earth in order to pray Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done, but to pray that prayer with a little bit more insight than just repeating some verses that we find in Matthew uh, chapter 6. With some clarity, Father, we know you want to do this in our generation. Release it. Father, we're in agreement. You don't like these things and these areas of injustice. Father, 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 we're praying according to his will, and when we've filled up those bowls with our intercession, we will actually be at this moment. This is why the prayer movement isn't a good idea. It's essential. You know, the, uh, uh, the apostles told us that we could hasten the day of the Lord. You know what hasten means? Speed up. 
Now, why would an apostle tell a church, the people of God, you have a role to play in how fast Jesus Christ comes back to the planet? That is a bizarre idea if it's not true. If it is true, the prayer movement makes more sense than ever. That there would be a people in the earth crying out to God, come Lord Jesus, the Spirit and the Bride say come, and not just come, but also Lord, take care of this objective you care about. Let's see this thing brought to the, the finish line. Let's see the Great Commission go forth. Let's see the gospel go to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Let's see it, God. Let's see it. The saints have a role to play, not just before all this stuff happens, all the way through. We are part of the purpose of God. I'm sorry, you got saved. Congratulations. From then forward, you're part of the plan of God forever with no break. With no break. We even see tonight, we'll look at it just to, for a second, the martyrs in heaven pray. So once you're dead, you ain't dead. You're there, and you're praying, which means your prayers, it would be useless for them to pray, and their prayers mean nothing, for their prayers to have no impact, because they're humans. It doesn't matter where they are geographically, on the earth, in heaven, outer space, on the moon, wherever they are, their prayers count. You are part of the plan of God forever. Stay in the will of the Lord. The bowls get full, and what's the result? Jesus. Jesus opens the scroll. The end times are God's end times. They're not the devil's end times. They are not the random events of humanity's end times. Or creation's groans end times. They're God's end times. God is in charge of the timing. And when it's time to start the clock, the father hands the son the, the, the button that starts it all. He says, okay, you ready? Yes, father, I'm ready. And Jesus begins to then open the seals. And that's what starts the great tribulation. Jesus. All right. Let's keep going. I want to give you another little piece of timing here. So last week we talked about the seals, trumpets, and bowls being connected to the time frame of the great tribulation. That's the last three and a half years. That's all true. Now, instead of me talking about what happens in the context of when they start, I want to go back. What's going on before they start? Before the seals, trumpets, and bowls begin to get released, what's going on? It's what's referred to as the period of the birth pains. Depending on your translation, it might say birth pangs. Pangs is kind of a fun word. So birth pains, birth pangs, either way. Matthew 24, 4 through 8. I want to give you the context of what's going on. We don't know exactly the time frame here. We don't know, is it a decade? Is it three decades? Six decades? You know, eight years? But it's, it's a while. This is going on for a while because Jesus told us, you're going to start to see global trends that are going to be discernible. Jesus doesn't tell us the signs of the second coming and then it be a mystery. He's telling us the signs that are discernible. A sign that you can't read is highly unhelpful. You guys ever seen one of those stop signs that's been faded by the sun so much it's almost white? You're like, oh, I just read that. I hope a police officer doesn't pull me over and call me out on that one. That was not a discernible stop sign, officer. Signs are unhelpful unless they're discernible. I promise you Jesus only does discernible signs, okay? He says this, Matthew 24, 4 through 8, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. False Christs, lots of them, not one. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. There will be lots of wars, and then there'll even be other wars that aren't even going to really happen, but you're thinking that they might happen, and so you're freaked out because of the rumor that they might happen. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So the end isn't when those things happen. The end is right after those things happen. 
Okay? Nation will rise against nation. That's actually ethnic group rise against ethnic group. The, the Greek word there is not nation in the sense of a country. It's nation in, in the sense of ethnos. It's ethnic groups. So this ethnic group against this ethnic group. There will be ethnic uh, uh, wars. Okay? And kingdom against kingdom. That's the nation against nation. That's a country that invades another country. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. For any of you who know anything about anything related to how babies come to be and get in the world, this whole pregnancy thing, it gets really intense right there at the end. Okay? I've been there three times. It was glorious. And, uh, and, and so it gets really intense because there's this baby trying to come out. And it's like there's pain and intensity. And it's like it's all worth it in a minute. But my goodness, it's a war. Right there at the moment, okay? Jesus says, now you got it. The baby is my coming and the millennial kingdom. Right before that, the planet will be experiencing the two hours right before the baby is actually on the, on the planet outside, okay? Birth pangs. So it's a while. It lasts a while. It's not one minute. It's not one year. It's going to last some time. And Jesus said, all these are going to happen. It's the beginning of a season that I'm identifying as birth pains. The end is not yet. The end will still come. The end is at the tail end of this. He says just a few verses later in the same chapter, when you see all these things, all these things, you know it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, very important, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. What generation? The generation that Jesus was talking to? No. The generation that sees the things. The generation that starts to see the things is the generation that will see all the things to its completion. The generation. The generation that sees the beginning of birth pains, that generation will see the end of the birth pains and see the second coming of Jesus in the sky. That's a very important detail. I want to encourage you to understand that concept and to dive in and, and see it for yourself in the Word. All right, in the wake of the birth pains, going to part C here on page four. Update on the landscape. I just want us to kind of get a picture before the seals, trumpets, and bowls start. Okay, we, a lot of times we think about the Great Tribulation. like, man, that's going to be terrible. I want to tell us as the believing community, things are going to be terrible long before the seals, trumpets, and bowls start. If we just read that this is the birth pang season, say it goes for two decades, I'm making up the time frame, but it isn't a year. It's not, it's not 500 years. It's a generation. So say it's 20, 30, 50 years, 100, you know, 60, I don't know how long, but some number of decades, not some number of weeks, and not some number of centuries, okay? The list was kind of ugly. Were we paying attention? I mean, it was a kind of an ugly list. War for decades. Filling the planet. And even it's a decade and a half. Okay, I mean, it's all bad. Wars and revolts will transform national borders. I mean, we've got to understand this. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. He said wars, and it's like we don't hear it. It's like it's just neat words. Oh, you know, the signs of the times. Do we have any idea what he was saying? He's saying the planet will be filled with war so much you'll be able to identify this isn't like previous generations where Jesus did not come back. This is something different. There's more war hap <clears throat> happening than in previous generations. 
This level of war is so higher than what we've experienced in the past, it's discernible as a sign of the second coming. So whatever wars are in our future will dwarf the wars of our past. That's a real problem. Because there are people alive right now that experienced World War II. Okay? We are going to see war become a primary feature of the planet before the Great Tribulation. Before the seals, trumpets, and bowls. Earthquakes, famines, and diseases... The prevalence of these things will have taken their toll on human life, infrastructure, and morality. And we've seen even in recent, you know, uh, American history that when there is a devastating event, it does not necessarily bring out the best in mankind. Devastating events, not here and there, but becoming more of a norm. Trends in the earth indicating his second coming. Falsehood, all the deception, this will shift global religious structures, causing many to rise, many to fall. Falsehood will be widespread even within the church. Falsehood. The rise of falsehood. We can already start to see some of it. Here's how you know if it's false. It's, the Bible says this, and somebody else is saying this, and they are opposites. False. Yeah, but they're really nice. False. Yeah, but they're my favorite celebrity. False. Yeah, but they're... False! Bible, true, good, everything else, lie, bad. It's really simple. We've just got to watch our allegiances because our hearts are stupid, okay? We like to just follow after whatever. That's neat, cool, great social media platform you got there. We're not thinking about truth. The Bible is the plumb line. This is the inalterable word of God. It's what decides real and good and true, not the trend or the whatever. We've got to be paying attention. All right, I'm going to keep going. Let's take a quick look at these seals. And again, we're going to spend a number of sessions looking at these. So uh, in, in the last uh, session, I didn't even go over any of the seals, trumpets, and bowls. So this one, I'm just in a little snapshot, but we'll cover them more in future weeks. <coughs> Part of the reason I do it this way, I'm throwing out some ideas for those of you who want to be Bereans and go study the Word and get, get your head around it. Go see what you think about the passage. I'm going to kind of advertise some ideas. See what you find in that passage, okay? The first seal, and again, if you're needing a kind of a reference point here, it's Revelation chapter 6 for the most part. First seal. Now, again, it's Jesus opening them. The first seal, it, it encompasses a lot, but if you need just a, a phrase or two, this is the crafty rise of the Antichrist. The first seal is the rise of the Antichrist. And in this, it's actually right after he's just raised from the dead. I don't know if you knew that or not. He's either going to raise from the dead or apparently raise from the dead, and everybody's going to think he raised from the dead. Either way, everybody's going to think he raised from the dead, so it's the same to me, okay? And I think he's going to actually raise from the dead, okay? Demonic power can do things that we're not really excited about, all right? I've seen a number of things that I was not excited about that actually occurred that were done by demonic power, all right? So... The Antichrist will have just raised from the dead, and in the wake of that, because he'll have been assassinated, okay? And in the wake of that, he'll rise, and everybody's going to look at him and go, you are the man, you've got power living in you, you were dead, and now you're alive. Remember, he is the Antichrist. He's mimicking the story, okay? And in the wake of this, he will rise to power and wind up becoming the Antichrist that we think of when we think super bad dude in charge of the world kind of stuff. This is when that happens. It's actually seal one. Seal two, in the wake of this, his false prophet, who will be his main guy, his false prophet 
will begin to institute a global war that will be a, a world war reality in connection to the Antichrist's government motives, desires. If you guys think about the whole Mark of the Beast system and all those that won't take the Mark of the Beast, they're going to be killed. And everybody else is going to worship the beast, all that stuff. That's not going to happen without a fight. There are going to be countries that don't like, they're not about Jesus, but they certainly don't want to worship some dude. And so they're going to fight. And many, many, many of those nations are going to wind up getting succumbed by the Antichrist aggression and army. We're talking about a war. This war is going to break out on behalf of the Antichrist in order to take over global domination. And he's going to get real close. The third seal is described as global famine in a way we can't picture. Now notice these things, they're next level components of what we were already seeing during the birth pains. We were seeing wars, we were seeing famines, but these are next level. These are up a notch. Those things were, were trends and they were here and there and they, they were growing in the earth, but these are like judgment moments of great severity, okay? Unlike anything that the world's ever seen. The fourth seal is an interesting combination of war, more war than we were already seeing, famine, more famine than we were already seeing, Plague, war, and wild beasts. It's a real problem when wild beasts get involved and you're talking about wild beasts being in the list that causes death like war causes death. When creepy critters start eating people, we got problems, folks. This judgment, the fourth seal, is described as one-fourth of the human population. So right now, if it happened tomorrow, one-fourth of the human population, we got about eight billion people on the planet, a billion, or uh, two billion. Two billion people. Two billion people dying in a judgment. Okay? And one of the four things that's responsible for a fourth of the earth dying is angry animals. That is so intense. That is really intense. We got we to gotta start getting our head around what the Bible says about our future. Because this is intense. All right? Fifth seal. Fifth seal shows the martyrs of heaven crying out for justice. They're demanding it. Now, I want to, re I want to uh, restate Jesus, who likes his people, is releasing these seals. Not against his people. Against the Antichrist government, which will be the majority of the earth. Okay? It's important that we understand that these judgments are not against Christians. These judgments are against demon-worshipping, Satan-worshipping, Antichrist-worshipping government, Christian-killing government, Christian-killing people in the earth. In the midst of this, one of the most terrifying judgments, actually, if you're, if you're paying attention to the spiritual realm, one of the most terrifying judgments actually is the martyrs getting answered by the Father. You got all these martyrs that have freshly died because of the evil Antichrist government. And they're before the throne in heaven and they cry out, How stinking long? What are you doing? We want justice. How long? And the Father's reply is, Soon. That is terrifying to the planet. Not to the believers, not to the martyrs, not to the angels. There's two teams. There's light and there's darkness. You're light, you're good to go. you darkness, look out. Because the martyrs are going to cry out, how long? And the father replies, it's coming soon. 
The sixth seal is the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If you read the sixth seal and you read Joel 2 and the promise of what's going to occur and this promise that we've been waiting for, I mean, they thought at Acts that that was it, but man, uh, Acts chapter 2 is just a down payment of the Joel 2 promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days. You look at the passage in uh, Revelation 6 referring to the sixth seal, and you see the same exact language that's quoted, but it's now the fulfillment moment of the Joel 2 prophecy that God will pour out his spirit in all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. You'll see signs in the heavens, all that stuff. It's happening right there in its fullest moment. In Revelation chapter 6, in the sixth seal, the church operating in the greatest level of anointing and power and authority is really, really bad news for the lost world. Really, really bad news for the Antichrist government and all that's going on there. The seventh seal, fire from the altar is hurled to the earth in this last seal judgment. And we'll spend a whole session talking about that. So I'm not going to really go into that right now because you might go, why is that such a big deal? I promise it's a very big deal. But we'll get to it later. Let's talk about the relationship between the first four seals. You remember in the last session I told you the first four seals are connected and the first four trumpets are connected and the first four bowls are connected. Let's talk now about the connection points between these first four seals, okay? First, the first four seals, one, two, three, four, but not five, six, seven. The first four seals are released by the command of one of the four living creatures, the four living creatures around the throne, you know the ones that never stop saying holy? They get involved. They are the ones, according to Jesus' cutting the seal, he, he does it with his finger or however he opens the seal. We don't know exactly what that looks like. But when he does it, one of the living creatures says, do it, booyah, release that seal. And then the judgment happens according to the words of the living creature. I gave you the verses there, top of page 6. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals, and then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. And the response then is the judgment comes, and we'll touch on what that is in a second. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, come. Third, lamb opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, come. And the fourth, come. Not fifth and sixth and seventh, though. There's only four living creatures. They are the ones that actually are in partnership with Jesus to release the first four plagues. These colored horses. What comes? Come, what comes? A white horse, a fiery red horse, a black horse, and a pale horse. Each of, when the four living creatures say come, some powerful horse responds to the come command. And actually now comes to the earth. And each one of these horses has a rider on top. And the rider is holding a plague. Each horse comes, and there's a rider on each horse, and each rider is holding a plague in his hand. Each of the colors of the horses, I'll give you this for you to kind of look at on your own, each of the colors of the horses matches the type of judgment that the rider is bringing. So these colored horses, it's not... You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, everybody, uh, you know, paid attention to their wardrobe and, and dressed up for the right occasion. You know, so if you're going to a, a wedding, you don't make sure you don't wear a big white dress. That, that won't go over well. Uh, so you want to make sure that you're dressing appropriately. The, the whole scenario of what's going on here in the first four seals, these horses are picked specifically related to their fur cover, color. Do horses have fur? Whatever it is that's on them. The fuzzy stuff. I'd call it fur. I don't know. Horse fur. 
the horse fur is in accordance to the color of the judgment. Okay, and I gave you a little bit there. And the rider is holding the plague. Now, this is a bit of a mystery because I don't know how you hold these plagues. I don't know how you hold Antichrist rising. I don't know how you hold war. I don't know how you hold, uh, you know, famine or wild beasts, famine, death. War. I mean, I don't know how you hold that in your hand, but it, they do. Okay, because I gave you the verses there. Revelation 6, 2, 4, 5, and 8. Its rider held. Its rider was given. So he didn't have it a minute ago, and now he has it. So he has something in his hand, on his person, on his horse, something. The rider was holding. The rider was given. These riders are somehow holding given these plagues. They didn't have them a minute ago, and now they have them. Some important details about the seals. As we talked about before, the seals are opened by the Lamb. There are some that think, uh, I want to say kindly, but completely wrongly, that the rider on the white horse in Revelation chapter 6 is Jesus. It's not Jesus. It is the Antichrist. It is a false Jesus. And that white color was picked on purpose because it's deceptive, which the main exhortation of Jesus related to the end times is don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. I don't care what color they ride in on. That doesn't matter. I don't care what their Instagram following is. I don't care about those externals. You look at the heart. That's what we're paying attention to. He comes riding on a white horse and will be received by the majority of the planet as the Savior. Okay, He will be received as the Savior, but not by you and me. We're looking at the guy the world is saying, Savior, we're saying, Devil. It will make us very popular in that time. The source of the judgment, Jesus is the source of the judgment. Jesus is also the one releasing the seal. And then he releases the next one. So he's not releasing himself and then getting back up into heaven to release another seal. Okay? He's still very much in heaven throughout the whole process of releasing the seals. Just another one of those helpful components related to where is Jesus, what's happening related to the church, all those details. While the seals are being opened, which take up the majority of the Great Tribulation time period, the majority of that three and a half years, not all of it, but the biggest chunk. Jesus is the one releasing meticulously these judgments, and he's doing it from heaven, okay? Understanding the identity of these horses. I want to give you just a couple of points here, and you can look at the notes on your own. Then we'll break up into discussion groups here. These horses are not angels. Any brief glimpse at these horses, you can tell they're bringing with them devastation, plague, and death. One of the riders on the horse is actually called death. Death is, who's that guy on that horse? That's death. And Hades is following close behind him. These horses are not angels. These horses are some version of principalities or something. These horses are of a demonic realm, authority, prepared moment kind of a thing. In actuality, this makes a lot of sense. Who was it that's releasing them? The four living creatures who are they releasing the four horsemen of the apocalypse if you will okay they but who's in charge are the horsemen or the horses in charge certainly not jesus opens the seal and these guys don't even they see the seal opened up they still don't get to go do their thing until a fourth one of the four living creatures says all right buddy your turn they are completely under the control of the purposes and plans of god throughout the whole end times this demonic realm, or these, uh, these horses, each of them is carrying on their back a rider of some sort of demonic realm reality. Either death, or the Antichrist, 
or the false prophet or this other guy that's just called the writer and in his hand he holds, you know, uh, uh, war and wild beast judgment, a fourth of the year dial. Anyway, these four riders, they're not good guys. These four horses are not good guys. This is all related to the realm of the demonic in that hour. We've got to understand the good old days are over. We are marching towards the second coming of Jesus. And relation to culture, culture is only going to get more and more abusive, more horrendously evil. The church is only going to continue to rise in glory and in power while also having to face the greatest measure of deception the earth has ever known before. And many will not go the right way. Jesus said, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived. Means to me, there's going to be a lot of people that could possibly be deceived and will be. And they're going, they're actually going to follow after falsehood. It's the, the primary teaching in my assessment of the end times. The thing that I would say, what is, if you need one word related to the, to the end times, what is the one word? My word would be deception. My word wouldn't be judgment. My, wouldn't, my word wouldn't be fear. My word would be deception. And Jesus warned against it, and the apostles warned against it over and over. You need no warning about something that you need not fear of. The warning was given by Jesus more than anybody, and then the apostles repeatedly, because we must not be deceived, and the tendency will be to be deceived. That will be the default. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll start with this group over here. Uh, what was the question? So the question is, um, deception is coming. Jesus warned about that. What if we have an unhealthy fear? How do we navigate that? You know, what does that look like? What do we do? So the, uh, the, the subject here is really far less about the end times and far more about discipleship. And that is, if, if we have anything wrong with us that the Bible says is wrong, we need to deal with it. Fear is not from the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is from the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. But the fear of everything else, God did not give us a spirit of fear. So it's actually not an end times issue. It's a discipleship issue. And so wherever we're deficient, if we love to lie, God says he does not like it when we lie. We need to deal with lying. If we are afraid and we give in to fear, we cannot do that. That's not okay. We need to look at our deficiencies and we need to ask the Holy Spirit for help with our deficiencies, so I don't want to treat the fear of bad things happening any differently than I want to treat lust. I want to not be lustful. I want to not be fearful. And so uh, it's actually, it, 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 it's a false concept that it's related to the end times um, because it's actually, well, that person was going to be afraid anyway, you know, and so, so it's, it's a fear issue. But I would say there are certain components about the end times that bring certain deficiencies to light. Like, I even heard some whispers about oil in the lamps, you know, uh, uh, Matthew 25. It's a good thing to look at Matthew 25, oil in the lamp, and go, ooh, I don't really know how good I'm doing at that. It's not an end times issue, it's an oil in the lamp issue. That looking at the end times context causes you to go, I need to get oil in my lamp, Amen. The subject of all these judgments brings forth the deficiency of fear. And we go, I am freaked out about this. We need to get boistered in our spirit. We need to connect with the Lord and get his heartbeat on these things so that we can overcome. 
So, uh, so I don't want us to look at the issues that studying the end times brings to light, which were there already. I don't want to look at those as an end times issue. We want to look at that as a discipleship issue, and we want to mature and, and grow in the things of the Lord and allow whatever it is that points out a deficiency. A Bible passage, a Bible study, a mean lost person telling us how fill in the blank we are, they're probably right. Like, let's, let's hear the voice of wisdom wherever it comes from and deal with our deficiencies. So, uh, great question. Great question. Uh, let's do this one. Okay, so to what extent are believers going to be protected in the midst of all the judgments? Um, so he, I, I'd say this. It's, a, it's really interesting how hung up we are on this conversation. And here's why. The reason why is find me a Bible verse that says we won't be protected. I could find you 50 that say we will. Now, does that mean no one's ever going to die from any of these judgments? I don't know that. But we're hung up on the conversation in the wrong way. Because there actually aren't verses that say, and God is going to judge all of his saints, and they will die with death, and it will be terrible and plaguing and die in death. There aren't verses that say that. Instead, we've got examples like the, the snake in the desert. Okay, The people who were in disobedience, so they were, they were not following God. They were in disobedience. Provision was made, the snake was posted, the bronze snake was posted in the air, and anyone who looked upon it were fine. The, the scenario with Korah and the ground swallowing up the, uh, the, tri or the, uh, the family line of Korah in Korah's rebellion, I believe it's in Numbers, they're, they're told ahead of time, that group of people over there is rebelling against God. God's going to do something you've never seen before. He's going to cause the earth to eat a family. Everybody take one giant step backwards away from the family that's about to be eaten. Everyone who took a giant step backwards was not eaten by the earth. Everyone who didn't got eaten by the earth. You got the occasion of Noah. Noah was the only righteous person on the planet. God saved him and killed everybody else. You've got the example of Lot. God saved Lot and killed everybody else. I mean, we've actually got a bajillion examples of where God saves the righteous while judging the wicked. The example of the Exodus is the most profound example where the exact same judgments were happening to Egypt. The judgments of Revelation, it's not round one. It's round two. Round one was the Exodus. And God showed he's very able to judge the unrighteous while protecting the righteous in the same scenario. And I heard it mentioned over here, the, the blood over the doorposts. Anybody who didn't do what God said that night would have died. So there's going to be a measure of obedience and following the Lord. But isn't that what we're supposed to be doing anyway? Just being obedient and following the Lord? Like, I think that's what I signed up for. And so, so it's like, oh, dude, you died. I can't believe that. What'd you do? I didn't do the thing he told all of us to do that everybody else did but me. <laughs> really? And you're, you're upset and confused about that somehow. So... Are any saints going to die? I don't know. But I can tell you this. That we're, at, we're approaching this the complete wrong way. We have such an accusation in our heart. that accusation comes from the devil. We have such an accusation in our heart against our good father that we keep asking this question. I'm not blaming you. This, I ask this question. We all, this question comes up anytime we do a Bible study about the end times ever. Everybody always wants to know. 
Well, how many times does it say? Where does it say? It says it all over the place. Where? One verse. Does it say the opposite? Why, where did this idea come from? That we're so confused that God judges his people and sends fire and kills them when they're worshiping him. Where did we, what Bible verse is that? We have such a wrong, we've got it flipped upside down. So I, I want to encourage you actually, like keep your eyes open for all these verses. They're all, I mean, I just listed a few. Ask me again the question next week, I'll list 10 more. I mean, it's, it's, it's all over the Bible. Uh, but we've just got such a, an accusation rooted in our heart that I think is part of the enemy's objective to get us to not study the end times, to get us offended at the Father, to get us having a wrong perspective. Because here's what that line of thinking leads to. A pre-tribulation rapture. We're not going to be here for any of the bad things. Because how could we be here when God's killing all the people? He'll kill his people. Where does it say he'll kill his people? He won't kill his people. That's not what he's doing. The judgments are against the enemy. Now, I will say, following the Holy Spirit is going to be important, but here's what the Word says. In that hour, the bride has made herself ready. She will be walking in obedience, hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd. So just follow the voice of the Good Shepherd and keep growing in righteousness, and you'll be good to go. And anybody who dies early, good for you. All right. All right. Uh, how about that back there? So the question is, in uh, Revelation uh, chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 1, talking about the first seal, it says that this writer, which I've identified as the Antichrist, he's given a crown. Is this crown his rising to power? Or is this the crowning moment where he's now going to set up the abomination that causes desolation and, uh, and all that? Uh, it's definitely that one. Um, and the rise to power, the way that we see this is the Antichrist is going to be involved in a global moment three and a half years before this moment. He's the one that kicks off the seven-year tribulation, and he kicks it off with signing a peace treaty that winds up bringing peace in the Middle East, the thing that can't be done. He will be responsible for signing the peace treaty that causes seven years, at least that's what the treaty will say, seven years of peace in the Middle East. But he will not be the, the global uh, recognized leader of the planet at that point. He's going to be some measure of a regional leader. The ten nations will not have even pledged their full allegiance to him at that point. And so he's rising to power at the beginning. He's going to be like, I'm just going to make this up. He's going to be like the secretary of state of some nation. He's going to be used mightily. I'm just making this part up. He's going to be used mightily in the signing of the treaty and the rallying, in getting the guys together to make the decision, hey, you stop being mean to him, you stop being mean to him, let's sign a seven-year peace treaty. And he's going to be celebrated as like, dude, you're like a diplomatic genius. You did this. That's awesome. That's great. He is not going to show himself as the Antichrist for a full another three and a half years. There will be a false season of safety for the first three and a half years of the, of the tribulation period. It's at the halfway point that we, we know clearly from a couple of passages. He will be killed. He will receive a head wound. He will rise from the dead. And at that point, that's when, I, the reason I think he actually rises from the dead is I think he actually goes to hell and gets commissioned. 
Like, I think he's actually getting the fullness of the power. Like, Jesus received the fullness of power from heaven at the resurrection. I think the Antichrist is receiving the fullness of power from hell at his resurrection. And when he rises up and he comes out of that hospital bed, and everybody goes, whoa, dang, Jimmy, what are you doing? He's like, listen, I had a revelation while I was out. I'm God. Everybody needs to worship me. And if you don't, I'm going to kill everybody. And he's going to then operate in global domination from that point forward. So I believe the crown is, uh, in, in that moment is, is definitely the, the global upgrade of his violence, of his government, uh, of his following. Uh, so everything that we think of when we think Antichrist, I think it's happening at that moment. And everything before that is just the setup. Great question. All right, over here. How can we what? Okay, yeah, okay. Um, so the Bible says uh, 92 million terrible things are coming. How do we not be afraid of that? How? Best answer I can give you, the Bible tells us 92 million bad things are coming. The Bible. Not the news channel. God. This is God telling us the future. So we need to... We need to rightly be stirred. Stirred is the right word. Fear is unhelpful. Think about how unhelpful fear is anytime. But stirred is the right answer. Because now we want to be stirred to partner. Stirred to understand. Stir. If God tells us the future and God is good and God is love. I mean, these Bible verses sound familiar. God is good. God is love. Okay, if God is good and God is love and he's telling us the future and the future has 92 million bad things, this is not disconnected from God is good and God is love. I want to be here doing whatever it is God wants me doing tomorrow and in the midst of all the craziness. We're going to be, op- it, God uses his church to get his stuff done. His church is going to have to be informed, but it says that the bride has made herself ready. I mean, this is actually like, this needs to be like our battle cry. This is like the time to raise up church. We need to be operating as the army of the living God, getting clarity of where we're going and what we're doing and what we're releasing and the boldness we're operating in. And listen, I'll tell you this. This is, a, this is my closing thought on that. God is winning here. The devil is not winning. So we need to be having an understanding that to whatever degree darkness is rising, light will be brighter. To whatever degree problems are coming, miracles will be more abundant. To whatever degree, you can't just look at the end times and go, ah, it's so bad, we're all just going to get beat up. And then, oh, thank you, Jesus, you came because we weren't going to make it. It's going to be so bad, we were all going to deny you and go to hell forever. Whatever. Like, we we don't have a defeatist attitude any more than we want to have a defeatist attitude tomorrow when we get bad news. Like, honestly, Preparation for what's coming, how do you handle a car accident? How do you handle a bill you didn't expect? I mean, like, we need to be working on just some daily practice right now. Like, oh, my life is over. Really? God's not on the throne anymore? He's dead? Aren't you gods? Don't you belong to God? Can't God solve any problem? Let's partner with God. So really, the end times, it's an invitation to partnership. And that's, that's where we want to be. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.